episode 309, Matt Terrio. Residual real estate income. Welcome. Check out this fantastic podcast. Do the little guy a favor. Subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. I'm Adam Lewis Walker, former teacher and athlete, now turned lifestyle entrepreneur, best-selling off, keynote speaker, and host of the Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Get to the podcast. I'm getting to it, Alan. As usual, please do head over to ayalpha.com to connect with the show, connect with me, and really get all the exclusive stuff and what it's all about. The easiest and most interactive way is, men, please do head over to Facebook, Awaken Your Alpha with ALW, and basically connect with like-minded individuals. And that's what it's really all about. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast, live limitless. Okay, we have a good one for you this week. We have Matt Terrio on the line. Now, Matt is a full-time real estate investor, but his backstory, his origins are very interesting. We're going to dig into that. He was a Marine Corps Desert Storm veteran, and then he enjoyed 15 successful years in the music business as a record producer and label owner. To cut a long story short, when the digital download really kicked in, that kind of killed everything he'd built in a matter of months. A very successful position to then all of a sudden in a grocery store, bagging groceries. In that environment is when he met one of his mentors and sort of introduced him to real estate. Um, I don't want to spoil it all because we're going to dig into it. So firstly, Matt, are you ready to awaken your alpha today? I'm ready, Adam. Let's do it. Awesome. We covered quite a lot there. Is there anything you'd add, want to add or highlight to your bio? What are you all about at the moment? Sure. Yeah. When I, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I spent the next 15 years of my life in the music business and that uh, digital download did come along. It turned the whole industry upside down. And, you know, in hindsight, it's crystal clear, but when it was happening, no one really knew what was going on. I mean, sales just, they, they plummeted to the floor and then returns from all the stores started coming in and it happened really, really quickly. You know, I was in, in uh, independent hip hop. We had a small little independent hip hop label, but we had major label distribution. We'd been in business for, for probably been releasing records for four or five years to that point. And then when the store started closing down and going bankrupt, like the Virgin Mega Store shut down and Tower Records and mm-hmm. Warehouse and, and all these other stores were just going out of business. And when they went out of business, they just started sending all the product that they hadn't sold. So we just started getting truckloads pulling up to our, our office one day, just unloading all these old CDs and, and stuff. And uh, yeah, it had just happened really fast. You know, because we were in this independent music scene, and it didn't matter if it was independent hip hop or independent rock or independent dance music, that audience, that fan base of that independent music, uh, they really embraced the digital download before general pop- population even knew what it was. So we were essentially out of business before iTunes was even invented. Um, the advent of, of Napster, it really crushed us. And, you know, for when you when you find yourself a whole industry being turned upside down and, and the, your main source of income selling compact discs and, and 12-inch vinyl goes away, you know, you go out of business really, really quickly. And I ended and within six months, we fi- I filed bankruptcy. I was actually lost the wife too. She didn't like that too much, so she left. Ooh. And, uh, you know, I went out and searched for a job and didn't found out, found out there wasn't a whole lot of demand for an out-of-work music entrepreneur. So the best thing I had to do just so I could eat, I ended up bagging groceries. I went from a seven-figure year to $7 an hour, and I was there for probably six months. Blimey. I mean, yeah. when, when that, was it clear that, the, like you said, the whole landscape had changed? Were you still trying to sort of hang on to the, the old ways of the music industry? Or did you know that, when was that moment when you really thought, this is it, I'm done for. Cause I'm sure initially you must've thought, well, we can handle this, we can adapt or what was that the lowest point around there? 
you know, when it when I recognized that the the returns were coming in faster than that we could ship new product, that was like, uh oh, this ain't gonna last long. So I had basically said I I quit, and I told my distributor that we're we're done, and they said okay. And the day after, I was I was remember I was at a Starbucks, and there was a, a newspaper that somebody had left on the table. I've never even shared the story. It's funny that this just came out this way. Um, but there was a, a, a headline on the newspaper that said, EMI sells its CD, dis, uh, CD manufacturing plant. And I was like, oh my gosh, there, was, there it was. <laughs> and, and that night, I went home and I, don't know, I went out uh, for some drinks with the missus. And we got home about midnight. We just plopped on the couch, turned on the TV. And there was a, a music commercial for Bon Jovi the rock group about this new album that they were releasing. It was all their hits. They were going to release them all acoustic versions. And I noticed at the end of that commercial, there was no in stores on Friday or go down to tower records or whatever the, the, the traditional call to action at the end of one of those types of commercials, it was go to their website. And I mean, right now it sounds like commonplace, like what's yeah. the big deal, but that was the first time you'd ever seen anything like that. And so I think within that 24 hour period, like the, the two signs came down and, and confirmed that I'd made the right decision the day before. Cool. So I want to delve into your origins even before that. I mean, mm -hmm. we spoke about where you are now, but where are you originally from? Where are you speaking to us from today? And you know, what did you want to be growing up? And cause obviously you went into the military mm -hmm. I and mean, some people that's, that's a career for them the, the, the whole time. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, that was, that was kind of a plan B. Uh, the military. I was um, born in, and raised in, in Los Angeles, California. I'm fifth generation from Southern California and grew up in the, in the early 80s and really just fell in love with uh, anything hip hop. Like mm -hmm. it was the, the Run DMC, it was Houdini, it was, you know, all, all the, the original LL Cool J, the original pioneers of rap music was just something that just caught me and got into break dancing and got into DJing and making my own beats. And I just, that, that whole culture um, really, uh, you know, resonated with me. I, I just yeah. loved it. And so I, I tried to, to be a music producer and I tried to be a rapper at one time and tried all these different advents of, of trying to, to make a business or, or make a living at least out of, from that passion. And it just didn't pan out. And I hit, uh, I think it was 19. So I, was, I started 14. And so five years yeah. of that. And I was like, uh-oh, I'm going to have to get out of the house here soon. And I haven't really planned for anything else. And it doesn't look like I'm going to be the next Puff Daddy. So <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I went and signed up for the Marine Corps Reserves just as like at least I'll have some food in my stomach and a roof over my head was my, my logic behind that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so I'll go to the reserves. I'll get this GI Bill. I'll go to school. I'll get my act together and I can still pursue the music on the side. And what I didn't realize was that sometimes the military does go to war. Because <laughs> mm. when I was uh, growing up, same sort of thing. A lot of my friends, um, maybe a year or two, they would go to the military, and it was at uh, that era. It was more to training, and no one actually thought, "Oh, they actually, if it kicks off, you need to go to war." It was more like they get put on training, and they're always ready, but nothing really happening. They might have gone to Ireland for a little bit, uh, right? But, right. Yeah, then war, you're almost guaranteed a war now. <laughs> totally. Well, it really, it's really kind of clicked in in boot camp. Like the first, you know, few months I was there was, you know, they're training you how to kill. Like kill or die. And I was like, why is that so intense? Like, I just want to, <laughs> I want my GI bill. I just want to go to school. Why, why do we got to kill people? And uh, 
So that's where it clicked. And then I got out and I was like, hey, finally, I got back in school. And I would say I was only in school for three or four weeks. And they activated all the reservists for Operation Desert Storm. And I was pretty much in active duty for the rest of the time there. Like I never got let go. So what was Whoa. a plan to be a reservist and go to college uh, turned into, you know, pretty much like five and a half years of full-time active duty in the Marine Corps. Blimey. Um, and I suppose that the question there, did, did you ever think about taking it to the next level or it sounds like you got more than you bargained for already or was you kind of waiting to get out or ready to get out? Yeah. So what happened? Cause I was in the music before and I kind of main tried to keep one foot in the whole time I was in the military, which was a, a, a feat in of itself. But I did manage to get a recording contract while I was in the Marine Corps and it was right at the end of desert storm. The whole nation was euphoric that we just beat the bad guy and, and we did it so swiftly and, you know, everyone was happy and very patriotic. And I got this contract and I remember giving it to my commanding officer and he had said, uh, wow, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm not going to stand in your way. Let's see if we can get you out of here early. And he passed it up to the, to the colonel and the colonel said, this is really cool. Let's go. Let's see what the general has to say. So I think I probably got through, got uh, an early honorable discharge um, that has probably never been, ha never happened before. I mean, they made Elvis <laughs> Presley stay the whole time, you know, and, uh, the general was like, I remember his last words after he signed the paper, he says, uh, remember me when you're famous. And I walked out and I was essentially quote unquote, a free man, a civilian. And that's how the, the music part took off. Yeah. I mean, from your time in the military, I think it'd be, it'd be silly if I didn't ask, do you feel like, I mean, what do you take away from that, that process? Like you say, they were training you hard. It was a, mm -hmm. it was a real war. We don't want to make light of it. What do you feel that you took away from that going back into the music and, and into life now? Um, and I, what I really got out of it, I mean, I, I hated every second I was in it, and, but I have more pride for it the longer that I'm out for it. Mm. And I'll speak very highly of it now, and I'm very proud to have served. Um, but kind of a subconscious reason I chose the military as my quote-unquote safety net was, you know, I was raised by a single mother and just, I felt kind of wimpy at the age of 18, 19. Like I didn't have a real male figure in my life. And I felt like I just needed a kick in the ass and I mm. went and signed up for it. And I was like, which one is the toughest one? And everyone said Marine Corps. I was like, give me that one then because that's what I really need. And I think it, it's definitely served that purpose. It gave me a, um, a, uh, a feeling and a sense of, of honor and discipline. And I know one thing that I pull from all the time, even today, is just creating a plan and take and, and breaking that plan, reverse engineering it, breaking it down into small little steps and just take one step at a time. And if you just do that day in and day out and you go do that with consistency and you do that with persistence, you'll accomplish every single goal by just approaching it that way. And that was very much a, a Marine Corps way of accomplishing things. So that's definitely something that served me my entire life. It's probably been, I don't know, 20 years since I've been out now. Who helped mm -hmm. awaken your alpha? Was there any specific figures that you thought that that was someone that, you know, you bumped into it at a real critical time. Yeah. It, when I was in the grocery store after about six months of having this giant pity party and, and blaming the entire world for everything that had happened to me. And of course it couldn't have been my fault. And, uh, I, um, one day I was just kind of like, I kind of hit a low and I was 34 years old bagging groceries at the time. And the grocery store manager happened to be 34 years old as well. He had been there working since he got out of high school and he was only two years away from, his receiving his pension and 
he and I, just because of our age similarity, we got to talking and we connected that way. And he had said, Matt, you know, if you want your life back, if you want that lifestyle back, you want your wealth back, he had said to me, and I've repeated this quote probably a thousand times since, he said, real estate is the final frontier where the average person has a legitimate shot at creating real wealth. And I didn't know if that was true or not, but I was certainly in search of something. And that's what I really missed was my money and my lifestyle. And he said, come here, I'll show you something. He pulled, we went up to his office and he pulled out this little book. He had a little binder and a picture of all these buildings. And he says, you know, in two years, I'm going to be withdrawing my full pension or my pension. I'll get 80% of my pension. And then along the way, I've been able to purchase this half a dozen apartment buildings. And these, the income from these apartment buildings is going to exceed my pension. And at age 30, 36, I am going to be free and live a life better than I did when I was working. And that was just like, it was just a big eye opener. I was like, wow, okay. Um, I think I can do that. And that's what led me down the path of real estate. And that night I took a bottle of wine home and it was just me and, and Mr. Google. I started searching everything real estate and came across an aunt that I had had. I hadn't seen her in 15 years in just two cities over. She happened to be the uh, number one real estate agent had been the number one real estate agent there for a couple decades, just fired off an email. We had lunch the next day. And 24 hours later, I was in real estate school and I was an agent for four years and realized by the, by the time I had fourth year, I was like, okay, this is good. I'm at least making a living. But if this is where the final frontier is for creating wealth, I think I'm sitting on the wrong side of the desk. I had a couple <laughs> yeah. clients that uh, were doing very well for themselves. I said, I want to do what they're doing. So I made this new commitment that I wasn't going to serve anybody else in their own transactions. I was going to act on my own behalf. I was going to be the buyer and the seller. Made a large investment in my own investing education. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here we are, I guess, 12, 13 years from then. And I've got a company called Epic Real Estate where we've got a, a, a million a good dollar. Name. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, we've got a million dollar fund. We've got a, a turnkey real estate investing operation where we sell uh, cash flowing properties to busy professionals. And then for those people that want to be hands-on and get their hands dirty, we have an educational and support program that shows them how to go out and do it themselves. Well, and I suppose that, that ties in nicely. Really, I like sort of our main topic to dig, dig into amongst all of this. How do you believe you, you can retire young, like the guy you mentioned there? How to create that passive residual income? I think the first step in, is to sh have a shift in your mindset to pursue and create streams of income as opposed to creating piles of income. Hmm. You know, the traditional way is we're going to go to work. We're going to work really hard. We're going to save. We're going to make sacrifices. We're going to invest as much money as we can. And, and hopefully by the time we turn the age of 65, we've saved a pile of money big enough where it can create a residual income for us to last us the rest of our lives. That's the, the traditional approach. And if you look at the statistics for the Department of Health and Human Services, that's failing almost 96% of the population. That plan isn't working. It looks great on paper, but in reality, it's not playing out for the majority of the people. So our, our shift in mindset is if the end goal is to create residual income, why not start by creating residual income now so you can create enough residual income to support yourself and you start living life right now. And then whatever is left over, that can create the pile for the future. And so just having that little shift is like, let's not focus on making the piles to create the in residual income. Let's focus on creating the residual income to create the pile. Yeah. And there's a lot of different ways you can do that. I mean, you can do that, especially with the advent of the internet. I mean, the online stores and the Amazon and the Shopify and, um, 
there's all different ways to do it. It's just residual income focus based. And the reason we chose real estate or I chose real estate was if you look at the statistics, it is the one platform that has produced more wealth and more residual income for more people than any other industry, any other investment vehicle. So I was like, well, that if that's where how most people did it, how most people succeed, that's why I chose it. But there are more ways to do it. But it's really just having that residual income focus right up front. In terms of real estate, when do you feel like you talked about, you know, four years being a realtor and then transitioning, when do you feel like you started to have some real success? And also for someone who's listening to this, who maybe is almost at that, that, that square one, where do you think they should start if we're being specific about real estate? Sure. When I made that investment in my education, so I think getting educated and learning how to do something is probably the best place to start for anything. And I, I was really attracted to this one course called creative acquisition strategies. And with my money and resources being a little bit minimal at the time, mm -hmm. having filed bankruptcy right when I got out of the music business, like I didn't really have a credit score to, to deploy. Um, I was really attracted to that. And when I got my first deal done where I didn't use any of my own money, that's what I was like, okay, I think I can do this and repeat this over and over and over again. And that's where I, that was like the first taste of success. And then it just became real. I had evidence that, wow, you really can do this in the way that you've heard about on the infomercials and, you know, people, uh, tout that all over the yeah. place. So that was, that was the first part of success. And I just repeat that process over and over and over again with a, a, an income focus. Like I wasn't a fix and flipper. I wasn't this wholesaler. I wasn't this wheeler or dealer. I would, I would go in and find a distressed property and see if I could arrange some sort of financing with the seller themselves and then create opportunities for people in my network to, to benefit from that as well. So that's what I was attracted to. If you wanted to start there, like I said, you want to start by educating yourself. YouTube and you can find just about and learn of just about anything. And then I think the second part would be to be very intentional about creating your environment, being intentional about who you spend the majority of your time with. We heard that before, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. It's, I think there's a lot, a lot of truth to that. And I think it works like almost on a, a cellular level in the sense that we all know what peer pressure is. We know when we were young and if you hung around the wrong crowd, you were going to do the wrong thing. And it's just kind of the way human beings are wired. You assimilate uh, with if you're not conscious of it and you're not paying attention. I think it works the same way in a positive manner as well. If you start hanging around people that are actually walking the talk, they're actual doers, you, you can't help but like start taking action because you feel like you're going to be left out unless you do. And you're surrounded by by evidence, you're surrounded by resources, you're surrounded by relationships, and you have all these different types of advantages that you wouldn't have if you're hanging around people that were up to something else. <laughs> so I think that's one is education, two, be intentional about creating your environment, and three, like, I don't know, sounds kind of cliche, but just take action. Yeah. There, there, there's a great quote that they'd used in the, in the educational program that I had signed up for. They said, uh, travel as far as you can see, and once you get there, you'll see further. And their thing was, you can't steer a parked car, so you have to get moving, and then you can make those adjustments along the way. Yeah. Oh, and, I love that one. Yeah, that's, that's just, that served me really well. So I think those would be your first three steps. It sounds like we could have got there, but I, for my alpha round, I do ask, is there a quote that resonates with you and how you like to live your life by? There's another one that wor works really well for me because having risen from essentially rags to riches in music and then hitting back down to rags again and then rising back up again. Um, there's a Mark Twain quote that says, uh, learn from other people's mistakes because you won't be here long enough to make them all on your own. I think we all have, the, depending on what age you are, 
you've had moments in your adult life where you look back and you you remember something that your dad might have told you when you were a teenager and you thought he was crazy. <laughs> and then you hit 30 and you're 40. And you're like, wow, dad actually knew what he was talking about, right? So if you take that, once you've had that epiphany and then you start applying that to those people, those mentors and the people that have been there before you, you start listening a little bit differently as far as, wow, they said, don't do this. And there might be a reason they're saying, don't do this. I ignored that advice from my parents. I'm not going to ignore it now. Is there a book or maybe a couple of books that have impacted your life or you just think they're really relevant for this conversation? Sure. Um, one book, and I've read it multiple times. I was reading it every year for a while. I'd read it at least once a year, every year, was Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within. I think that's just a great basic manual for life. I wish they would have shared that with me in high school, like my senior year in high school. That could have yeah. really been a game changer. <laughs> And then what, the book that goes good with that and the book that would go good with any book where you're trying to learn how to do something is a book called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. Oh, yep. I've got that right here. Absolutely. One of, one of my faves. I have Awakened the yeah. Giant as well, but that's a, that's a huge book. This is, uh, yeah. Yeah, I love it's the book. It's the ideal companion book for anything else, mm. right? And uh, it just shows you how, um, how results are created and they're created without prejudice. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what your background is, what you look like, you know, you apply the principles and the slight edge and you'll yeah. have no excuses. You'll get exactly what you want. I suppose it's very relevant for real estate as well. That kind of compound effect and the slight edge working for you or against you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and understanding it's always working. So <laughs> yeah. Like, <that'll laughs> you can't just have it like that. Yeah. It's right. There's no flat. You're going up or down. Absolutely. Awesome. From your network, who do you think would be a good interview for this show or who you, who you'd like to recommend? You know, I just had a great conversation with the guy and I, apparently I'm the last person in my network that heard his name because when I shared with my network that I met this guy and, and I interviewed him myself, everyone was like, oh yeah, he's a great guy. Everyone knew who he was and I, had, I was the last one to know, I guess. A guy named Garrett Gunderson. Okay. Have you I, heard of him? No, I haven't. So oh, okay, cool. So you and me, Adam, we're, we're the last two guys. <laughs> <That's very good. laughs> but a great guy and he wrote this book called uh, something about killing sacred cows or something like that. Oh, I might recognize the, I recognize the name of that yeah, book. Yeah. yeah. I recognize the title of his book. I didn't yeah. know his name. <laughs> and he was a fantastic interview. I mean, we were very much of like mind, so we didn't disagree a whole lot. Like yeah. we just like kept agreeing with each other the whole time we were talking, <laughs> but uh, re really, really cool dude and great mindset. And um, I think he has a lot of really valuable information that uh, the whole world needs to know. When you're feeling sort of, overwhelmed or stressed or unfocused it hits the fan basically even even now as it does for all of us what are some of the the habits or things you do to try and get yourself back on track yeah the one thing is when i'm feeling like defeated <laughs> dejected like why yeah. today or why me or why now it's i have a, a conscious shift where i say to myself stop focusing on what's happening and focus on what you want to have happen mm. And, you know, if you were going to take the actions for that, it would look very differently than probably the actions you're doing right now. That's kind of the one piece I, I really keep in my toolbox. And uh, if, if we're going to talk about another quote, uh, Winston Churchill says, if, uh, if you're going through hell, keep going, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so it's, it's just action will get you out of everything. And those are two things that I, I think about when it's not going right. If people want to find out more about you and everything you do, what's the best way to, to follow us up? What's the best way to get in touch? 
Sure. I, well, like coincidentally, if you're if you're listening to to us right now, then you know how to find a podcast, and I coincidentally <laughs> have one uh, called Epic Real Estate Investing. And uh, if you go to epicrealestateinvesting.com, that'll open up the link right there in your iTunes app on your phone. That's probably the easiest way. Yeah. Or just go to the little website. It's epicrealestate.com. Awesome. Instead of epic real estate invest, investing, just real estate investing, what are some of the mistakes that you see or the, the industry in general? You know, it is investing in real estate, but you think it's not your style. You think it's a, a mistake. I think if you go in in... And that, there would certainly be people that disagree with me, but mm -hmm. uh, I would love to, to fight with them for a while on this, this topic. Yeah. Being that real estate investing is not wholesaling, it's not fixing and flipping. That's just trading. Mm. And you know, as soon as you stop, the money stops. Investing is buying and holding and generating an income from that asset. So I think those two things being confused is a big disservice to the people that might otherwise really benefit from it, but are dissuaded by the activities or that the words of others. You know, when we look back at 2007, 2008, where everything collapsed, the people that lost were the speculators. The people that lost were the people that were fixing and flipping. Hmm. The people that were buying and holding for income, they might've taken a little bit of a hit, but they didn't lose everything. They didn't hit rock bottom after that. And that's what long-term real estate investing looks like. And that's what long-term real estate investing can hedge against those types of collapses. Because I mean, shelter is one of humans' basic needs. Like we need that, right? And so there'll always be a value for that. People will always exchange resources, whether that's finances or it's goats and chickens, they'll always <laughs> exchange for shelter, right? So you can't, but you can't make that exchange if you're fixing and flipping, fixing and flipping. You're going to get caught with your pants down and you're going to lose just like everybody did. Do you, are you location linked to where you like to invest? Or have you got like, is the whole of the US your kind of your canvas or do you stick to areas you know? Um, yeah, just wanted to kind of yep. tackle that point. So I'm in Los Angeles, California. And to, to be a cash flow investor here is darn near impossible unless I bought <laughs> 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. The, the rents just don't keep up with the, the values of the properties. And so I am in 10 different markets across the United States, mostly in the Midwest and the South to where you can uh, very, really rather easily find a property that you can just go buy retail and rent it out and it'll produce a positive cash flow for you. So there's probably um, probably only. 300 of those types of markets, major and micro markets across the country. And the, and the, the chance that you live in one of those is, is pretty slim for a lot of people. I've chosen to invest where it makes sense and live where I love. And so that's how I've chosen to brilliant how I've ended up here. I suppose I'm interested out of all your investments of that sort of nature, how many of them houses have you actually been to? Do you go to all of them? And how does that work from you in a, in a practical sense? It's a good question. I have bought and sold a lot of properties that I never saw. To this day, I have pretty much seen them all because I like to buy where I have friends and family and network and places I like to visit. Yeah. Um, so I've kind of uh, collapsed those two things. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I've bought and sold a lot of stuff that I never saw. Foreclosures, what are your thoughts on them? Do you go steer clear of them or do you get involved in that kind of because that's again without With regard to purchasing them yeah because without my you always think to someone who's not in real estate you think oh foreclosures that's where you can pick up a bargain kind of sure. thing that used to be 
Mm. And the reason it's not now is a lot has to do with 2007 is that the uh, banks had to pull back so much inventory and historically they're not in the real estate business. They're in the lending business. Yeah. So they would dump these properties quickly because they just wanted to get their money back so they could start lending again. So, but because it came back to them in such volume of 2007, 2008, banks started opening up departments that managed real estate uh-huh. in addition to the loans. Yeah. So now they're a lot more savvy and now they've got specialized departments and they don't give them away as cheap. I kind of had a feeling like now they're like, well, we're not going to let it go for that. It's almost like they stop and pay attention to what they're doing a bit more. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, because if they dumped them the way they have historically back in 2007, they, I mean, they wouldn't be in, in, in business. And finally, what's the one question that you thought I was going to ask or you wished I'd ask and you feel like I've missed a trick here? <laughs> it's my get out of jail free card, this one. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I love that question. I asked that question. I was like, wow, I, I hope someday... It kind of it responsibly to you. <laughs> um, wow. I don't know. I think you did a really good job. You're a fantastic interviewer, Adam. You got oh, a great geez. show. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, that's, that's, that's all good. Well, man, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thanks for your time. You bet. Thanks for having me. The Awaken Your Alpha podcast. Head over to Facebook, Awaken Your Alpha with ALW to join a great group of men in there. Do the little guy a favor. Subscribe and review. It'll help get him off my back. <laughs>